Steve. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be together, isn't it? Good to worship Jesus. Well, they've laid carpet for us. I've got carpet on the stage. I don't know if it's because I stamp or something like that. So if I decide to have a lie down halfway through the preach just to test it out, um, you know, just, just go with me on that. Brilliant. God's good, isn't he? I mean, I, I, I just think when you, you look at the incredible provision of how God has provided for us, but he's provided for us through you. And uh, we're just, just so grateful and humbled by your amazing generosity and trust um, as you give so much um, uh, money towards the work of what that God is doing through us as a church. Um, thank you very much um, for that. This is the fourth um, preach out of three. Um, <laughs> And the plan had always been in September, we had this neat little preach series, three preaches, three subjects. Um, we, I was going to work my way through it, three important things that I wanted to look at that we want to be in us, as a, in, in the DNA of the church as we push forward. The problem was that the first one took two weeks and not one week, and so we overran, and so it's taken until mid-November to get to the last one. So, so in the first two weeks of our preach series, we looked at the whole, the whole subject of the importance of discipleship. Um, the, the next one we looked at was the whole area of mission. And what we're going to be looking at this morning is care for the poor. And uh, during, that, during that little series, um, we handed out these little vision booklets. So if you didn't grab one in September, they're on the information point. You can grab one on the way out. And that just highlights some of the things that are important to us um, as elders, some of the things that we're going to be pursuing. And uh, I would encourage you to take it away, have a look at it, have a read of it, and spend a bit of time praying into it um, as well. So care for the poor. One of the most um, profound um, preaches that I can remember is one done by a man called Simon Pettit in 1998 at the Brighton Leadership Conference. And the title for that preach was Remembering the Poor. That as churches, we need to remember the poor. I don't know if you have any preachers like that, that you can cast your mind back. I mean, it's showing my age, isn't it? 1998. What's that? That's... Three years ago. Um, but I remember he, he, he preached it, and it had a profound impact um, on us as a family of churches. It had a profound impact on New Frontiers. And in preparation for this word, which to be honest, I've had about six or eight weeks on, because like I say, the delivery of it got delayed, um, I listened again. Um, to that preach and I would encourage you if you've never heard it or if you did hear it a long long time ago and haven't heard it since if you go onto the Jubilee Plus website look under resources I think it's the first preach um, on there it's just worth another listen so this morning we're going to be looking at the whole subject of care for the poor we've been sat down already for a little while so why don't we stand on our feet just for a moment it gives two opportunities one it gives me an opportunity to pray for you and it also gives you the opportunity to wake up, okay? Just so you're ready to go by the time that we dive into the preach. Lord, I just ask you, would you come and help me to communicate clearly uh, this morning everything you've got for me? And I pray, would our hearts be prepared? Would we have open and receiving hearts ready to take everything that you've got for us? 
We say, Holy Spirit, right now, would you please come? I thank you, you, you are with us and you live within us. But I pray, Lord, would you reveal yourself even now, just in preparing our hearts. You know, I say with all respect, God forbid that this would be information only. Lord, I pray it would touch our minds and our hearts. I pray we'd be informed from your word, but we'd be provoked in our hearts to action. Lord God, would you come and have your way, we pray. Holy Spirit, we give you free reign. Lord, would you come and have your way with us, we ask. (laughs) Amen. Why don't we take our seats? Thank you for standing with me. So the plan is I'd like to look at this preach in five sections. The first three sections are foundational. I want to take um, the Bible and unpack um, what different parts of the Bible say about poverty and the poor. And then the last two sections is, is our response to it. Our response as a church corporately, but also what is, what is my response personally? Because I think there's a danger when we're in a church of this size that we can get a sort of sense of well-being from the fact that as a church we're involved in something, even if in my heart or in my personal experience I'm quite a long way away from it. It can in a sense maybe give us a false sense of security. And so I want to maybe provoke us a little bit if we find ourselves in that position. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. And uh, this this first point in particular will be coming from the first 10 verses um, there. So the first foundation, as as it were, foundation number one, is the early church. What do we see in the early church. Now before I read the passage, I just want to give you a little bit of background. Um, The Apostle Paul and Barnabas have been going around modern day Turkey and they've been preaching the gospel. They've been seeing the miraculous happening. They've seen churches planted. They've even gone back round these churches and seen elders um, appointed and established there, all in the midst of persecution and suffering. So it's a real mix of different stuff that has been going on. But they've been seeing wonderful gospel fruit. But false teachers have come down from Jerusalem. And they started teaching these these baby churches that Jesus was not adequate. That Jesus alone was not adequate. And actually what you need to add to that is a bit of circumcision. but also obeying the Mosaic law. So so they were coming down saying, well, Jesus is all right, but you've got to add these other bits in as well. And this, Paul and Barnabas could not stomach. It isn't Jesus plus something, it is Jesus. It is faith in Jesus Christ. He is the one that saves us from our sin. He is the one that puts us on a firm foundation. We are united with Christ. We do not need anything other than Jesus for the salvation of our sins. So they took great offense at it. And they went to Jerusalem to check out what they'd been preaching. So this is what it says. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. 
You'll notice I've taken a few sentences out on the way through just to help the flow of it. On the contrary, when they saw that I'd been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that's to everyone who is not Jewish, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the Jewish people, and when James and Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the non-Jewish peoples and they should go to the Jews. Only they asked us to remember only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So Paul and Barnabas find they're on the right track. They're preaching the right gospel. The apostles don't add anything to what Barnabas or Paul is saying. But I just want to draw your attention to that last sentence in the passage. Paul and Barnabas, you're doing really, really well. I can see the grace of God is upon you. Only only they ask them to remember the poor. Caring for the poor is linked to apostolic mission. It's linked to planting churches and reaching people for Christ. Caring for the poor was already an established priority for the church in Jerusalem. And the apostles, Peter, James and John, wanted to make sure that it was going to be in the DNA of these new baby churches. It was already there in Jerusalem. I'm going to show you in a minute. They're already doing it really, really well. But they were concerned that what Paul and Barnabas were planting throughout modern day Turkey, well, old Turkey, you know what I mean when I say that geographically what's now Turkey. These churches that were being planted had the right DNA, that they were caring for the poor just like the church in Jerusalem. And as other churches would be planted in Greece, Italy and even Spain, right in the DNA, the poor were cared for. Even when the gospel makes it as far as Hastings, that care for the poor is in the DNA of the church. We've already read in the Acts of Courage series we did at the start of the year how that church in Jerusalem cared for the poor that were among them. It says in Acts 2 verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. In Acts 4, 34 and 35, there was not a needy person among them in the church. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what they were sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Within the church in Jerusalem, there was a remarkable level of of care for the poor. A remarkable level. Now, in part, it was a natural outworking of their Jewish tradition. I'm going to show you that in a minute. But it was also an outworking of the fact that the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon them. A level of generosity where people sell their possessions in order to provide for other people is not a natural outworking. That does not naturally flow out of the human heart. It's the fact that they had been filled with the Holy Spirit. The whole of the Acts story flows from Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them in abundance. 
And just as the mission was empowered, they were given boldness by the person of the Holy Spirit. Just as signs, wonders and miracles were enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit, that so was their incredible generosity to one another empowered by the Holy Spirit. We cannot build church built on just good teaching alone. Sonny just blew up. It must be, church, empowered by the person of the Holy Spirit. It's the very reason we exist. It's the very reason that the church was planted 40 years ago was because there were expressions of church that didn't have any representation of the Holy Spirit working among them. That is not what we can become in the future. We've got to fight for it. We fight for what the Bible says. We look at it, we study it, we teach it to the best of our ability and we hold to it. But we must be looking to find what were the outworkings of the Holy Spirit in this book and be looking to experience them in our everyday lives. We've got to go for both. It isn't one or the other. You cannot care for the poor. We cannot reach the poor in our town if we're not empowered by the Holy Spirit. Human effort alone won't do that. Second foundation. So early church, we see they cared for the poor. Second foundation, the nation of Israel. What do we see in the nation of Israel? Now you may find reading the Old Testament, and particularly the law section of the Old Testament, a little bit boring. I won't ask for hands to go in the air if that's what you feel. But what it does do is it reveals God's holiness, purity, desire for justice. We find out through the law, through the Mosaic law, what is important to God. How were Israel to approach God? How were they they to treat each other? It even provided a framework for how they did community together. Within the Old Testament law, there are a number of provisions that look to care for the poor and the oppressed. And here are some of them. In Deuteronomy, it said that people would have been paid on time. So particularly casual workers that were hired in the marketplace in the morning, they were meant to be paid at the end of the day, because if they weren't paid at the end of the day, the poor could not put food on the table for their family. God is concerned about the poor, and we see it in the Mosaic law. We see it in the fact that when Israelites loaned money to fellow Israelites, they were not supposed to charge interest. Why? Because debt in itself is crippling enough. But if you pile, you pile interest on top of it, people just get stuck with nowhere to go. That's why this, the, the loan companies that charge 15%, 1,500% interest a year is so criminal. It, it cripples people. They, they know that people can't repay it. They know they, that the whole business basis is based on the fact that they're not going to be able to keep the repayments up. That's why it's wrong. And God put it in the Old Testament that it shouldn't be there. Farmers who had fields were meant to leave the edge of the field unharvested. Why? So the poor could go and glean grain from it so they could pay, so they could feed their families. Farmers weren't supposed to harvest right up to the edge, they were supposed to leave stuff so that others could get it. In Exodus 22, Israel was told not to oppress or wrong the migrants that lived among them. Why? Because immigrants or people from other countries, they don't know the language, they don't know the culture. 
Generally, people are a bit more sceptical and a bit more iffy and step away. Israel was meant to treat them with respect and care for them. In actual fact, Israel was, even, Israel was told to love them as God loved them. It says God loves the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant. It's, that's the reality of it. It's in the Old Testament. It's as clear as day. Every, in, in Deuteronomy 15, debts were supposed to be cancelled every seven years. So if Kevin and Claire got into a bit of trouble, sorry to pick on you, and they went to Janair to borrow, to borrow some money, at the end of seven years, I mean, I tell you, he's a taskmaster, that Janair, he's, he's got a nice smile and he looks nice enough, but oh, heart of stone. But every seven years, people in debt got released from it. Why? So they had freedom to start over again. There was something called a year of jubilee. Every 50 years, if you had to sell... I mean, if Kevin and Claire really got in trouble and they had to sell their farming land to Janair, at the end of 50 years, it would get returned to Kevin and Claire. It gets wiped out. It gets returned to Kevin and Claire. Why? So they and their children can start again. That the whole thing was set up in Jewish law to give people the opportunity to get out of poverty. That's the reason it was done. And if things got really bad for Kevin and Claire, and they actually ended up selling themselves as servants or slaves to Janair, at the end of 50 years they got the freedom, they were released, they were free to go. And the whole basis of how money was lent was based on this 50-year cycle. Why? So people aren't permanently impoverished. There is a way out. That's the reason God did it. God has a heart for the poor and the oppressed. And even within the Israelite culture and law giving, there was, there was um, provision made so that people could change the situation they were in. It was a framework for the poorest to get out of poverty if they wanted to. It's there. That's why the early church in part operated as they did, because it was within the culture they were living in. The Old Testament produced a platform. It shaped the thinking of the early church. And lastly, foundation three. So you've got foundation one was the early church. Foundation two was the Old Testament. Foundation three is the ministry of Jesus. What do we see in the ministry of Jesus? Just, just think about this for a moment. Jesus identified with the poor in his incarnation. So when he came down to earth, God in heaven, he clothed himself in humanity. He came down to earth. He, he identified with the poor in his incarnation. Think about it. He was born in a stable. He was a refugee in Egypt. He grew up in Galilee and he died as a criminal on a cross. When he crossed the Sea of Galilee, it was in a borrowed boat. When he entered Jerusalem, it was on a borrowed donkey. And when he was buried in a tomb, it was in a borrowed tomb. Jesus feeds the hungry, releases the oppressed. He heals the outcast. And when Jesus was starting his mission... When he, as it were, laid out his manifesto of what he was about in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 to 19, it says, The Spirit 
of the Lord is upon me because he has what anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This is good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That's what Jesus came to do when he said, look, this is what it's about. This is where we're starting. This is what he said. We see four things in connection with the kingdom of God coming. We see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We see an anointing coming on his people. It's there. We see preaching the good news. And even as we care for the poor, we mustn't forget to preach the good news. We mustn't forget the centrality of the gospel. And the number one importance it is for us to proclaim it. So you see an outpouring of the Spirit. We see preaching the good news. We see healing and deliverance. Those oppressed by sickness and the evil ones set free. And the raising up of the oppressed and poor. Good news to the poor. Liberty for the captives. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Isaiah 61 is a resurrection of hope. If you read on later on in Isaiah 61, it talks about the poor becoming oaks of righteousness. It talks about those who are caught in poverty becoming oaks of righteousness for the display of his splendor, for his glory. Such a transformation. Those who are oppressed those who are caught in poverty, those who are spiritually poor, being so turned around that they become something that, that displays his glory and then is used to set others free. It's not just a gospel of hands out, hand out, hands, hand, hand out. It's not a gospel of handouts. It's a gospel of transformation. When John the Baptist asked Jesus, you know, Jesus, are you the real deal? This is what he said. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus associated with the poor, ministered to the poor, the kingdom of God was good news for the poor. So when I see these biblical foundations, how should I respond? What is our corporate response? What is a king's church response? Firstly, we need to understand if we're going to see Hastings and the surrounding communities transformed by the gospel, we need to remember the poor. This isn't an optional extra if we fancy it. In fact, if we don't remember the poor, I don't think we're reflecting God's heart. Simon Pettit says this. It's quite a a lengthy, wordy um, quote. But have a read and a think, okay? And I'll read it to you. you. You have a read. And between us, we might land it, okay? We need to get an understanding that when we care for the needy, preach good news to the poor, 
seek to develop the God-given creativity of poor people, equip people with skills to make godly choices for them and their families, with financial help promote enterprise, that's part of the apostolic calling of the church of Jesus Christ. It's what we're called to do. That's the kingdom of God coming. We won't reach Hastings and 1066 country if we don't reach the poor. You know, we've seen in the press recently, haven't we? We're living in a very deprived town. Probably the other word's true as well, but... And although there are signs, pockets of prosperity, there is so much poverty. Whether it's low incomes, poor educational standards and training, whether it's problems with ill health, whether it's problems in housing, whether it's just people's aspirations and their expectations for life being so low, there is poverty all around us. And we have been uniquely equipped to deal with that sickness because the gospel is good news to the poor. We have the antidote. God's given us the hope to bring change and transformation. Let me just show you some of the things we've been doing or are doing at the moment, because I think when you see the list, you might be as amazed as I was as we started looking at it. Laura, can we have the first slide up? So we've done work experience placement within the Hastings Centre. I I don't know how many it is, Um, but a a lot of them have gone on to get paid work. We've got food bank. Um, We're providing employment within this building. We are um, helping run the CAP Debt Centre. Um, we've got a relief fund as a, chur- a, a church. We have Charity of the Year, um, Surviving Christmas. I think we're going to give £3,000 to um, this year. Um, we've got anti-trafficking work that has started. We offer suspended coffee at the coffee shop for people that can't afford it. We run Reflect. We run Play Plus, St. Lenin's Community Group. We have a parenting course where there are social service referrals. We do the marriage course and the money course, both for people in the church and outside of the church. Friends International Community Group, people... helping people from overseas to settle into us. We have um, TLG, which is an education project that... um, which is just being set up at the moment. We've got move dance classes that are being paid by what the Hastings Centre Profits have come. We've got Link Lunch. We've got Harry, we are part of or Hastings Borough Council's anti-poverty steering group. Um, we have someone on the Hastings Police Youth Crime Peer Review, um, and we've got someone also on the White Ribbon Day domestic violence stuff. There's just, and I and I've know we have missed loads of different things out. You might be thinking, what about the thing I'm doing? And I'm sorry, we may have missed it out, but... We can, we can make a difference. And then there are other projects happening in our community that, that we have minimal input to, but they are, they are uh, pretty amazing. So you've got the Snowflake Night Shelter, 
um, that's about to start this week. They do an incredible job of providing temporary accommodation for 20 homeless people every night of the week through the winter months. You've got Hope Kitchen that I think is open twice a week based out of Wellington Square Baptist that is feeding people. Um, Ashburnham Place is doing various different schemes, um, but also I think an employability scheme at the moment. There's the Pelham Centre in Bexhill that again is social action based and doing a load of different things. If you're involved in any of those projects, please can you stand right now? Any of those that I've listed out? Wow. You guys are absolutely incredible. Can we give them an absolute round of applause? Stay standing, stay standing. Let, reach out your hands to them right now. Just So if you're sat where you are, can you just reach out? If you're a visitor, you may think that's an odd thing to do, but we're, we're, as you're doing that, we, we just want to pray God's blessing. Lord, I want to thank you for every person that is standing here right now. I want to thank you for their amazing heart to be involved and to serve and to care for people in different situations and circumstances. I ask you just for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit to be upon them. I pray for a fresh empowering, Lord God, to come from you. I ask you for more God-given dreams to take the gospel out in creative ways. I ask you for the richness, the richness of your blessing to come upon them in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord God. Amen. Thank you. And then lastly, just as I, just as I wrap it up, so we've seen, we've seen what the early church did, the foundation of what the early church did. We see the foundation of the Old Testament and the people of Israel. We've seen the foundation um, of Jesus' ministry. Then we've looked at the first response, which is a response of us as a church and the importance that we step in and make a difference corporately. But I, I just want to close by what is our response individually? What is, what is my response individually? How do I respond when I see poverty at whatever level that might be, whether it's injustice, whether it's financial, whether it's spiritual poverty? How do I react to that? When you see oppression, financial need, hunger, exploitation, how do you respond? Because the reality is we live in a day where these things are beamed into our front rooms every single day of the week. You just have to look at the news. In actual fact, just to desensitize ourselves a little bit more, the films we watch are full of all of those things often, and yet we have this ability to move what we see to the back of our minds and sort of say it's not really real. I wonder, I think I have, and, and it may, I may be the only person in this room who can say this, but I wonder if one or two others of you might be able to say it. I think my heart has the ability, has an ability to look at a situation of real pain and brokenness. And rather than responding with compassion, I can easily respond either with judgment or indifference. People who look different to me, sound different to me, even respond differently to me, but who are created by God 
in his image and crowned with glory and honor? Do I value others in the way that my heavenly father has valued me? I'm going to tell you just a brief example. I've got five minutes. I'm going to linger here because I think this may may be the most provoking. And I I just want to start by apologizing if I get the story wrong and I offend you. Because I've, as I've, I've, be honest, I've practiced trying to tell this story, but I still can't get it right in my own mind. So I'm going to have to ask you to forgive me. Um, Or just come and talk to me at the end and you can tell me off and then I'll apologise to you. Myself, Steve and Sam went to, um, we went to France for a couple of days as elders to pray, to seek God, discuss strategy, vision, all those different things. And it, and it was a good, good um, couple of days. I'll tell you though, Sam and Steve worked me so hard. Oh, it's terrible trying to keep up with them. They're awful like that. Um, we drove onto Eurotunnel and myself and Chloe beforehand had even just thought, you know, on the back of the Paris stuff, just thought, cool, Eurotunnel would be a good target. You know, and you think you're shutting those containers, you know, and the, the door's shut behind you, and you've got about six cars in a container, and, and off you go through the tunnel. And so we drove on, and it was really quiet. It was very eerie. We didn't know if it's just because it was Tuesday night at 5 o'clock, and no one goes to France at Tuesday night at 5 o'clock, or or whether it was affected by what had been going on in Paris. I I don't know. But we drove in. We jumped out of the car with what was left of our Burger King wrappers and our our thick milkshakes, and we were stood by the car just chatting away. Um, They were trying to start the elders' meeting already, but I I just wanted to relax and chat, you know. Um, the car in front of us, um, this, this family from Afghanistan got out. There was, there was a grandma and a granddad, and there were two grown-up sons, and there was an 11-year-old boy. And I, I must admit, when they got out of the car, I thought, oh, just, I didn't say anything to these guys because I'm a well-trained Christian, and I wouldn't say such things. Anyway, we... We're trying to suck up the last juice out of our thick milkshake container and, you know, like it is, it gets stuck, doesn't go very well. Um, but, but this family opened up the boot of their car and they, they just kept getting bowls of food out. Bowls of rice and lamb and salad and vegetables and sweets and drinks and they, they, they just got it out and were having this incredible meal. And then they just looked across at us. I think they felt sorry seeing my Burger King wrapper. And they just said, do you want to join us? And for the next 15, 20 minutes, me, Sam and Steve had this amazing, amazing meal. Incredible meal. Um, Brilliant conversation. And I got back in the car, if I'm honest, quite humbled. Because I think they reflected God's heart much better than I did. And I don't think they were Christians. Their level of hospitality, their openness, their willingness to share. Just the fact they had enough to share. A bit of my mouldy burger didn't look very appetizing to them. And if I'm honest, I felt a bit of shame. Felt a bit humbled. 
Because I know that although I'm a Christian and I am an elder in the church, what's in my heart isn't always the best. And how quickly I am to have prejudice, prejudice or fear based on blown up media reports and hype and fear driven stuff. I don't know. You guys probably might not be able to relate to the story I told, but I was provoked and a bit ashamed at the end. God's calling us to be generous. Not just financial, but to be generous in kindness. To be generous in time. To be generous in trust. You know, some people will, get, will take advantage of us. If I'm totally honest, I'm just going to say to you, you've just got to get over it. And it's not about poverty or richness, it's about a broken human heart that needs a saviour. Rich people are just as likely to take advantage of you as poor people. And Jesus warned us of this, and I'm going to finish with these verses. Jesus warned us that people were not going to like us and take advantage of us, but that he expected a radical response from his people. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. You may be saying, they're not my enemies. How much more then should you love? I mean, as Christians, I'd, I'd, I'd bet, actually, if I said, show of hands if you've got an enemy. You're all far too well trained to have any enemies. But it still applies to you. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you would wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Fillmore says this about Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is not just a beautiful collection of sayings, but the revolutionary manifesto of the Jesus kingdom. It's a call for the unbelieving crowd to follow Jesus and live his way instead of the world's. It's a call for his disciples to act as subjects of the kingdom of God. This is not something aspirational. This is not something that when we get to heaven, that's how it's going to be. Jesus had an expectation that his disciples were going to put some of this, this into practice now and today. Everyone loves their friends. Everyone loves people who are generous to them. That's not revolutionary. That's not different. You don't need Jesus for that. We do need to be wise, don't we? But don't hide behind that wisdom as a cause for your inactivity. We need to be wise, but don't hide behind that wisdom and sit there doing nothing. There is a danger when considering the poor, we can sound more like a Pharisee than Jesus. Oh, I wonder how they got into that. Or I'm certain they don't have a good work ethic. Or it's all been brought upon themselves. Pharisee or Jesus? 
The Pharisees stood far off, were not willing to lift a finger to help, and just judged. Why don't we stand? We have a clear biblical mandate to care for the poor. As a church, we have a responsibility to do it. We're doing some, but I believe God has got a much greater remit for us as a church yet to come. But church, friends, we cannot hide behind what we're doing corporately together and leave our hearts unimpacted when it comes to this subject. So if you feel comfortable too, can I just ask you to raise your hand? It's just an opportunity, it's a response. Father, I pray, would you please search our hearts? Would you see if there are any offensive ways within us and lead us in your path everlasting? Father, I pray if we need to renew our minds, would you even convict us of this right now? God will not renew your mind in a vacuum. You need to renew it by reading the Bible and allowing the Holy Spirit to work on your mind. I'm just saying that. You need to find verses about poverty and caring for the poor and allow the Holy Spirit to soak them into your soul. So Father, I just pray, would you come and move within us right now? Can I leave you, church, with a question? What are you going to do that makes a difference for the poor? What are you going to do that makes a difference for the poor? Are you going to be one of the first people to sign up to do a gift box? You could go and volunteer at, for the food bank collection at Tesco's next Friday, Saturday. That's another way you could respond. They always need volunteers for that. Go to the information desk, just put your name down. What are you going to do that makes a difference for the poor? Do you need to renew your mind? Do you need to allow time and space for the word of God to provoke and stir, challenge and convict you in this whole area? Father, I thank you, Lord, that you clearly love the poor because you love us. And I thank you when we were spiritually poor and far away from you, you broke in, revealed your son to us that we might respond. I thank you, you are a generous, kind, loving father. And I just ask you, would you please empower us that we would take our, uh, our, our God-given uh, uh, responsibility and role as we look to serve our towns and communities in caring for the poor but reaching out with the hope of the gospel. Lord, would you come and empower us? Would you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit? I just want to pray for a, for a nagging reminder from you to linger from this word word in our hearts and minds throughout the week until we've done something about it. I ask for that in your precious name.
Amen. Thank you guys so much. Sorry we've slightly overrun. Um, If you could go and collect your children, I know the children's workers would really appreciate it. Thank you.